Welcome to the show, everybody. We currently use the term witch trials when we're, we're referring back to history um, to reference the persecution of those that practiced other methods than what the church held as doctrine. It began in the 1400s in Europe. And this hysteria spread to the New World in the 1600s with the arrival of Puritan colonists. While the hysteria was beginning to wane in Europe, the Puritans from East Anglia were about to ratchet up the intensity and lead into a period that would be forever remembered in history. Author Peter Muse joins us tonight to cover this case and more, which are featured in his latest work, Witches and Warlocks of Massachusetts, Legends, Victims, and Sinister Spellcasters. Peter Muse, author, is next. Welcome to the Three Beards Podcast. My name's Craig, along with Austin and Chris. Passed to a new generation of Americans born in this century. Let me out. Let's get it out of the way right now. Let's just get it out. Let's just get it out of the way. I'm 46. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's just get let's just get it out of the way. I'm 46. Uh, I'm on that side of 45 now. How oh, well? Here we here we go. So, yeah. So, uh, how has your week been, gentlemen? Long, busy. It has. Yeah. Welcome, welcome everybody to the show, Ron, Ronald. Hello there. How are you? Now, at this time, let's bring on Peter Muse, the guest of the show. Peter, how are you, sir? Great. Excited to be here. I'm uh, My hair was standing up from your spooky intro a little bit, so I'm uh, oh, well, really awesome. ready. What little hair I have was standing up. There, hey, I am. I'm right there. I'm, I'm, it's going away, too. I, I, I won't lie. The hats, are, the hats are covering it. I mean, yeah. it gets to the point where it's just going to be shaved. I'm just, I won't do the comb over. I, I refuse. You'll do it. He's bald. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's gonna happen. But yeah, what he teased. Um, so we're gonna show here. Um, first off, like I said, this book um, was released September twenty first, correct? September first. September first. Yeah. All right. I don't know who wrote that too on there. Me. All right. So September first. Uh, so, um, how's it been received so far by readers and critics? Good, good. I mean, I've been having a lot of fun, mostly going on podcasts and radio shows promoting it just because of kind of the COVID situation up here. So um, that's what I've been doing and just uh, promoting on social media, things like that. So I've been having a lot of fun just reaching out to people and talking to people who have similar interests in this type of topic. 
And then and this is the one I just brought up on the screen here for everybody to see. Those that aren't watching and they're listening. Uh, Witches and Warlocks of Massachusetts Legends, Victims, and Sinister Spellcasters. Uh, it's out. You can purchase this at Amazon, um, Kindle paperback, um, I believe. And it's available in other major booksellers as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, Bookshop, really wherever you buy books online, you can buy it. So that uh, check that out. It's um, really, really well-priced. Uh, one, from reading it, it's... You put a lot of time and effort in researching this book. I mean, there, there. This isn't just twelve, you know, twelve to fourteen font, you know, double spaced. No. <laughs> no, this is this is. There is a lot of stuff crammed in, crammed in. And for those that require them, there are a couple pictures. Yes, uh, you know, it's um, <laughs> I really, you know, I've been really interested in local folklore for a long time. And I grew up in Massachusetts. I've lived in Massachusetts most of my life and I've lived in New England really all my life. So um, I, at a certain point, was really interested in like learning about local folklore. So I started to read about it and study it and things like that. And one thing I really wanted was a book that had all the witch stories in one place. And I kept looking for it and that book just didn't exist. Like you could get books about the Salem witch trials, a lot of those and a few other books, maybe about witchcraft in the Puritan era. but not one that had all the witchcraft stories. So that's what I tried to do, but I just didn't have enough space. So this is like almost all the witch stories. This is like all the witch stories that I really, really liked. So. Yeah. That, and that's one, and we'll get into a few of those too. And that's, you kind of touched on that, you know, where I was going to ask you, it's where you came in it to be about this book. You also have another title available on there, legends and lore of the North shore, which follows, you know, some, what was that? What was that one about? Uh, I haven't read that one yet. So the North Shore is, um, it's the term for all the coastal towns north of Boston, like from Boston up to the New Hampshire border, those towns along the coast are called the North Shore. So that's a really old part of the state and old part of the country. That's where Salem, Massachusetts is. So those towns are found in like the 1630s, 1640s. And so Legends of Lore of the North Shore is just stories from those towns north of Boston. So stories about pirates, witches, monsters, um, strange locations, things like that. Some paranormal stuff. There's like a Bigfoot sighting from Newburyport, Massachusetts. So just things like that in there. Um, it was very focused on that specific region of the state, basically. Oh, awesome. And, that's, and for more information on that too, people just go to newenglandfolklore.blogspot.com. And I've got that up on the screen for those watching. Uh, same thing, you go there. This uh, blog that as he goes through there, you've got quite the catalog of stuff, like you said, going back um, all the way to 2008. Yeah, and yeah, it's, um, so. you know, I, like I, I to say a little bit about myself, like I was born in the late 60s, and then I kind of grew up as a kid in the 70s. You know, in the 1970s, sort of paranormal and occult topics started to become really popular in the media. So there are movies about Bigfoot or UFOs, like In Search of the TV show suddenly appeared, right? And which I think is the ancestor of all the paranormal shows we have today. And so I would watch those shows. I had an older brother who was also really into UFOs and really into Bigfoot. And um, so I kind of grew up with a lot of that in my environment. And then I was also the type of kid who was really into like folklore, mythology, all that sort of like stuff like Greek mythology, Norse mythology. 
I studied like anthropology in college, so more folklore. And then at some point I was like, ah, it's, my brain was full of all this weird information. I didn't know what to do with it. So I started the blog. Like I'm gonna start this blog and just kind of put the weird stuff I've learned out there in the world. So that was in uh, 2008 and I've been writing it ever since. And as I said before the show started, like if you ever watch a horror movie and someone goes into the haunted house and there's like the musty book that you open up and it's covered mm -hmm. in cobwebs, that's kind of what my blog is like because it's so old in terms of the internet. Like a 13 year old blog feels really ancient, I think in internet terms, you know, but I still update it several times a month. Yeah, so like you said, you just had a couple of, I think posts this month, you know, last yeah. month in September, yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't touch on it. Um, you also got, I'm going to butcher the first uh, the university. So I'm going to let you in. Um, I want to uh, say it's Brandeis. Yeah. I went to Bates College and Brandeis University. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm two for two. I, I was a, <laughs> yes. For anybody who didn't know, I was, I went with a complete, I, I had never heard his last name pronounced. And so I, I asked him, is it pronounced Muse? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, yes. So I got, I got Muse and Brandeis correct. On this. So, man, I'm betting a thousand. You're Happy winning. birthday. Yeah, you're winning. All right. Yeah. So what do um, you major in? At Brandeis. I majored in anthropology. I got two anthropology degrees. And, uh, you know, I realized I wasn't really cut out to be an academic. That was not really what my personality is made for because a lot of, um, I know it's a lot of alone time, right? And I'm a little more of a social person. But I also appreciated what I learned. And I also appreciated like learning research methods and things like that. So um, I kind of brought that forward when I wrote a book like this. Like, I really like to do some research, look at the footnotes and find out where people are getting their information. Can that help me with my information? Things like that. So, yeah. When I'm um, just like, as we go into this thing, you know, people, when you purchase this book, you're going to see this, this is really well laid out. This is really well done. Like I said, it, it's almost, it's one of those like turn, you know, pictures like you just keep reading the story and you don't realize, you know, just as you're going through, it just, you don't feel like you're reading you know, like an actual book, you feel like you're just somebody that's got a collection of stories, which is, you know, I really enjoy it. Really enjoyed. It wasn't just like this breakdown. It was just, it was a nice, just goes through here and it says, here's this, we go through here and just the way you laid it out. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so, oh. so very Thank well you. Yeah. I was trying to figure out with all these stories from like 400 years of witchcraft stories, like how do I organize them? And so I just decided to put them by area of the state and different city and town, but also I, tried to shake it up. So there's like stories from the Puritan era. There are 19th century legends. There are 20th and 21st century paranormal encounters. So really have a broad mix of information in there for people. Just to show like how, you know, the first kind of which, which stories in Massachusetts and how which stories are still being told in Massachusetts, you know, 350, 400 years later. Well, and I'll, I'll show this on the picture for people that are watching. Just, just kind of give you guys a tease here too. This is um, I've got it up here on the screen, so from the Kindle, so people could see it. You've got um, so just to show you just the list. These are this. These are all stories. This is how it, you just laid it as you go. And like I said, it's an awesome read. It really is. It's you just you go through, and each one of these are different cases. And just going through, and I each one of them. There wasn't one where it was just like, you know, where you have those like, ah, not it's, you read one and you're like, I want to get to the next one. I want to get to the next one. It was it just the way it was done was and I even liked in the beginning the way you you got out. And one of the questions I had for you, too, is when we'll get into there is you had the governor, John Winthrop. Yeah. And you kind of went into that. And that's one of the ones. Did you through your research and when you're doing these. 
did you find out and the way tell me if i've worded this wrong you know weird or not but i just do you believe like his crusade against witches warlocks that was a genuine belief in religion or do you think this was more of his way of I have a way of controlling the population through fear and this kind of is going to help me keep my position of power? I think that it's right. It's hard to say like to travel back in time and read people's minds. I don't Mm -hmm. sadly don't have that power, but I think the Puritans were who came to Massachusetts from England and founded, you know, Massachusetts and Connecticut and the other New England States. They were really religious people and their goal was to set up, you know, a religious, basically theocratic state in New England, which they did for a while. For a while, it was pretty much a Puritan state here. Um, And they did believe that the world was a battleground between God and the devil. The Puritans thought they were on God's side and they thought pretty much everybody else was on the devil's side. And um, if you think of their belief in witches, the witches are almost like the devil's secret agents, right? Like Mm -hmm. the Puritans knew like, okay, the French Canadians, those people are clearly on the devil's side because they're, Catholic and they're trying to like prevent us from colonizing North America or like the native Americans, they're on the devil's side because they're not Christian or whoever, right? They could, they had these very clear lines of who they thought was evil. But then the witches were kind of people within the community that you didn't know were a witch. And then therefore they were kind of like secretly doing the devil's work within the community. And none of it is true. Like there were not any real witches. I really want to be really clear. Like there were no witches in the Salem witch trials. It was just innocent mm-hmm. people who were accused, but this is what they believed. So I think they were, I think they were honest in their belief that they were witches for the most part, because there also were skeptics at the time who were like, yeah, no, there are no witches, but they were, they generally were overruled by the other people at the time. Yeah. And, that, and that's one, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of nerd out for you. Have you ever watched Outlander? The movie, the I've show. Seen the movie. I haven't seen the show. No, the, the show. The, about the time traveling show. No, I haven't. Yeah, no, it. the Outlanders, the one on uh, stars. I'm going to say. Is yeah, yeah, is. yeah. They and one of the one of the characters, Claire. She's a healer, but she's in a couple. You know, spoiler alert. And one of the things she's accused of being a witch. And so it'll just help everybody. You know, so it, it's one of those. I think, I think there's a few people where. Do I believe that there's somebody out there, you know, like I said, cackling, making brews, turning people into newt, you know, doing stuff like it's like, no. But was was there somebody and one of the stories, um, let me get this here so I don't butcher this one. It was it was really in it was really sad uh, too. It's um, and I want to say it was stuff is that first one that you did. Yeah, Margaret the, Jones. the husband and wife yeah. team. Yeah, yeah, Margaret that, Jones was um, mm-hmm. the first person executed in Massachusetts for witchcraft. So she was executed in 1648. And so yeah. the Salem witch trials were in 1692. So you've got like around 50 years of witch trials happening. So Margaret Jones moved to Charlestown, Massachusetts, which is now part of Boston with her husband. She was a healer and she was really successful at it. Um, she would sort of treat people with these very simple herbal remedies, put like anise seeds and brandy, like really basic stuff. But her cures work, they're very effective. And that sort of made people a little suspicious almost, like she was almost too good at healing. Like how can she be so good? It doesn't seem quite natural. And um, right, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Didn't quite seem natural as she was healing people. And so people started to whisper that perhaps she was a witch. And then 
she was put on trial for it. And then some other people came forward and said, well, she told me I wouldn't recover unless I took her medicine. Well, obviously that's the case, right? Cause she was a healer, mm -hmm. but they sort of took that as a threat almost that she was like threatening to curse them if they didn't use her medicine. Um, and she, she was executed for being a witch based on really slim evidence, I would say. And her husband, her husband was also accused, but he was not found guilty and he kind of fled the Massachusetts colony. Wow, that's yeah, great. well, that, you know, that's kind of where I went with the, you know, the Outlander reference is it was the same type of thing. I mean, you, you think with back here, for anybody that doesn't know the period, you know, you've got a headache. Well, that's because, you know, there's a good chance you're diagnosed as you have a demon and we must, you know, some sort of bloodletting. You know, we have to drill a hole in your head to relieve so that this bad stuff can escape. And then you have somebody like Margaret Jones that comes along, like, no, just chew on this herb. And all of a sudden your headache goes away. And all of a sudden she's with the devil. And it's such, as you do that, you realize just almost, it's a miracle that we made it this far. It really is. It is so barbaric the way that here you have somebody, you simply look, it's like, you can just look through nature. You can see the way, you know, you see an animal's got an upset stomach. They start chewing on something. You know, start, you, you know, you have these people that use their head and that's where and you outline these in your stories. And that's, that's the part I love. And it just shows right here there, like you said, there wasn't anybody that fits the definition of the cackling witch that's doing these things. Right. Yeah. It's just, um, it was like a projection, right? I think the Puritans, Puritans were looking for somebody to blame for their problems. Like, you know, my child is sick. My cow isn't giving any milk like the butter isn't churning all these things that they you know just things that go wrong in everybody's life but they were looking for yep. a reason why it was happening to them and who do you blame but you blame the person in the village who is you know the old cranky woman down the street that nobody likes um you know maybe it's it was often women not always women but it's like it's the woman maybe who had premarital sex, like, ooh, scandalous, right? Maybe she must be yep. a witch if she would commit that sin of premarital sex. <laughs> Think of the other sins she would commit, you know? You have a lot of that in oh, the Puritan era. It's like, they were just looking for somebody to blame, I think. So what is so what is your all-time favorite witch story? Did you put that, spoiler alert, did you put that number one in your book? What is your all-time favorite witch story? That's a, t you know, this is the one I've been telling a lot. I don't know if it's my favorite. It's hard to have a favorite, but this is the one that sticks in my mind because it is so weird, I guess. Um, and it's from Truro, Massachusetts, which is on Cape Cod. And um, basically there's this sea captain named Sylvanus Rich, who is from Cape Cod. He's from Truro. I've seen his grave. So he was an, he was an actual person. His grave is still there. But he was sailing from North Carolina up to Boston. He was sailing along the coast of Cape Cod. And he sees on the, in the dunes, he sees this small hut. And he says to his crewmen, like, I'm tired of drinking like just beer and brackish water on this boat. I wanna go, I'm gonna row myself over to that hut and see if they have some milk that I can buy. So he gets in the little rowboat, he rows from the main ship over to the land and the crew sees him go to the hut. Then they see him come back from the hut, rows himself back to the ship. And he's like, look, everybody, I have this bucket of milk that I got from the woman who lives in that hut. And I have to say, that woman in the hut is the ugliest hag I have ever seen in my life. But I bet this milk is really delicious, okay? 
So Captain Sylvanus Rich takes his bucket of milk and he goes down into his cabin. As soon as he closes the door, a huge storm comes up out of nowhere and it like shreds all the sails on the ship and blows the ship out into the middle of the ocean. And so the crew is pounding on the door like, ah, Captain Rich, come out of your cabin. We're in a lot of trouble. He doesn't come out. Until the next morning he comes out and he says, last night that hideous hag came to me while I slept and she rode me like a horse up and down Cape Cod all night. And he lifts up his shirt and he has like bruises all over his body like a woman's shoes have been digging into his sides. And he said, she put a magic bridle in my mouth and literally rode me like a horse up and down Cape Cod. <laughs> and the crew's like, oh, you know, the crew's a little freaked out, but they're like, but captain, you know, the sails are all shredded. We're adrift in the ocean. He's like, captain says, sorry, like I have to go back to my cabin and I have to prepare because the witch is coming again tonight. He closes the door. And the crew's like, does he, is he excited to see the witch? Or is he freaked out to see the witch? We can't really tell. And so this goes on for like days where the ship is sort of drifting out in the ocean. And every night, Captain Rich is just locked in his cabin, having the witch ride him like a horse up and down Cape Cod. And he's just, you know, the crew is starting to think about mutiny at this point, right? The captain is totally oh, yeah. useless. He's bewitched by this milk that he drank from this witch. Finally, another ship appears on the horizon. It draws nearby. And by happy coincidence, the captain of that other ship is Sylvanus Rich's son. And so Sylvanus Rich goes over to his father's boat, his father's ship, goes down to the cabin and goes into the cabin, closes the door. And you hear like heated words happening, but you don't know exactly what's said. And finally, Sylvanus Rich emerges and says, okay, you know, the spell is broken. Let's repair the sails. We're gonna, we have to sail to Boston. So they fix the sails, they sail to Boston and they arrive at the, in the harbor and the merchant who's expecting the grain on their ship is there. And the merchant says, Captain Sylvanus Rich, why is this grain so late? You're supposed to be here like 10 days ago. And Sylvanus Rich says, just blame it on the sweet, sweet milk of Satan is all he says. She was being rode by a witch. <laughs> being ridden by a witch. That's the end of the story. Oh, my God. That's but there were quite a few stories uh, from, like, the 19th century, and even earlier, of witches riding people like a horse. They would come to you in the nighttime and put a bridle in your mouth and just ride you like a horse. And, like, even someone in the Salem Witch Trials from Haverhill, Massachusetts, said that a woman in his town would ride him like a horse at night, and his mouth hurt from biting on the metal bit within his teeth. That, so that's that's yeah, like we're, Dama Matrix type stuff. It's a, yeah, I mean, it's the sexual imagery is like pretty blatant, I think, right? Pretty blatant. Well, that, that's like, it's like, where does this get you? Because obviously there's a shared theme here. It's like, so, this isn't the day of the internet. So I mean, this is, you know, this is stories that are being passed around. And it's just like how this becomes like a common thing. It's like, oh yeah, I, that happened to me too. <laughs> so yeah. So was is was it ever determined in any research you ever did? Was it something like a ritual or what? Like what what was it de determined to be? Because I mean, I'm sure a witch had better things to do than come ride somebody like a horse. Like I don't even know if there really was a witch, and how did the story show up? Not sure. Because we saw Captain, we saw Sylvanus Rich's grave on in Cape Cod, and um, like he died when he was 34. I think he wasn't very old when he died. So he, and he had one son who was 11 years old when he died. So it wasn't like his son really was sailing out there in a ship and came to save him. So it's kind of a little murky what the details are, you know. There's a very similar story also from that town on Cape Cod about a 
witch who, a sailor who steals donuts. Like he's going to his ship and he walks by this hut and he sees some donuts and he steals the donuts because they're so delicious and eats them all. But then when he's on the ship, a witch comes and rides him every night and as revenge for him stealing her donuts. Um, hmm, when it was the same witch. I know, right? It wasn't like the same witch. And that story was even appeared like in the Boston Herald in like 1889 or something like that. So it was um, people in that in that town in Cape Cod, I guess, remember that donut story. Cause it's pretty memorable. And Massachusetts is a very, is a donut focused state. Like it's the home of Dunkin' Donuts and all that sort of stuff. See what Mark posted, colonial porn. <laughs> oh my god yeah that's you know everybody's sure that's that's the that's that's the red papers everybody's just sitting here it's like oh yeah i gotta see the story for you let me tell you about the witch that (laughs) oh another one you had out there it was further on way down the book was the freetown forest witch yes and that one's a little freaky i think that's a freaky one i i always have to give credit to this story it's um there's a writer named Christopher Balzano who used to live up here in Massachusetts. I think he lives in Florida now and writes paranormal books about Florida. So if you like paranormal things, check out Christopher Balzano. Um, okay. But he used to live in southeastern Massachusetts and he interviewed people who lived around the Freetown State Forest, which is a big forest down in that part mm-hmm. of the state. He interviewed all the people to find out their sort of paranormal stories they told. And there had been actual some murders in the forest as well and things like that. And so he talked to this guy named Dave and um, this was in, let's say, late 90s, early 2000s. So really pretty recent. Talked to this guy named Dave and Dave told Christopher Balzano that when he was a boy, he and his friends were out playing in the woods. They were little kids and they heard somebody laughing at them. So they hear this laughter. They can't see anybody, but it sounds like a woman laughing at them. And possibly they see like the outline of a woman, but it's almost like the light is being diffracted off her body. Like she's like some sort of invisibility shield. So these little boys are just freaked out, obviously, and all run home like, ah, this is really freaky. So they run home. They start to see in their dreams, all these boys, it's like, I don't know, five or six of these boys start to see in their dreams, this older woman appearing outside their bedroom window at night, trying to get in, like she's tapping on the window, like begging them to let her in which for the most part, they don't do. I'll get to that later. Dave himself, the main informant here, like said that he had a dream where he was an adult man married to this woman. They were living in the woods and he killed her because she was um, an adulteress, but and also a witch, which is a little freaky dream for like a 10-year-old kid to be having, I think. Yeah. Not your average dream that a 10-year-old kid has. Not at all. I was hoping she wasn't going to ride him like, like a horse. Well, you know, they find like what they think are the ruins of their, her house out in the woods. And then one of the boys one night when he's having the dream that she's knocking on the window actually opens the window and lets her in. And his parents are out in the living room. They hear his screams and they come running into the room and they see the boy, you know, like wrestling with this invisible entity, basically that is trying to attack him. Uh, they wake him up. He's totally freaked out. And eventually that family moves from the area because Mm -hmm. they just were so disturbed by what happened. So these boys keep seeing this Freetown witch for years and it only really stops once they move out of the area. Like she shows up to their windows at night, usually in the autumn, like when it's starting to get darker and colder, she's more active. They see like a large black cat that walks in two legs. So they see all these freaky things. And 
like whether the story is true or not, like it may not even be true. The story may not be true, but it was told in like, let's say the late nineties, early two thousands. And it's very similar to some of the stories you would hear from the 1600s. So it is like the malevolent witch who's coming into your bedroom at night to kind of terrorize you, the black cat, you know, the older woman. So it has a lot of similarities to the stories that you would have heard in like, you know, 1640 or 1650, which I think is really interesting. So what do you feel? What do you, why do you feel that they're just terrorizing random people? What do you think the people have done to them? Or it's somebody else who has cast a spell on these people that's making the witch come bother with these people. Um, I think, like again, I don't think they necessarily were. I don't think they were real witches. I don't think they were real witches involved. I think there. I think people always have weird experiences, right? Like you could, let's say, you might talk about sleep paralysis now, right? You wake up in the middle mm -hmm. of the night and you see a dark entity in your bedroom and you can't move and it's choking you. And when it's over, you say, ooh, that was sleep paralysis. Or you wake up and you see an entity in your bedroom at night and you think, oh my God, it's an alien that's in my bedroom and it's trying to abduct me. Or you could wake up and see a strange entity in your room and you could think, oh my God, it's a witch and she's coming to ride me like a horse up and down Cape Cod. So I think there's like, people always have the weird experiences but I think we explain the weird experience in different ways, depending on what era we're living in. So very few people now would expl explain it as a witch, but you might say it's sleep paralysis. Some people might say it was an alien or something like that. I don't even know if aliens are that much of a topic these days, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I was just thinking it's, you know, during those, in you know, I'd be interested to dig more into that, like find out if those kids had heard those stories from somewhere, you know, and then it just manifested on, but if they hadn't, that lends such a, you know, another layer to that story. If, you know, how does a 10 year old come up with something that sits so, you know, almost flawlessly with a story from hundreds of years prior, you know, that's, that's not something that's just your normal 10 year old is just going to come up unless they're Stephen King. I mean, that's, let's right. just be honest to I me. Mean, yes. Yeah. Right. And that, you know, the witch tapping on the window reminds me very much of the movie Salem's Lot. If you ever thought of the mm -hmm. movie Salem's Lot from the 70s, right? And the vampires trying to get in the window tapping on your window at night and things like that. Yeah. There's, well, as soon as they're tapping on the window, you know, first, most people should be it. Don't, don't open that window. Don't, don't open the window. window. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. Whatever Just you do, do not say, Just don't yeah, don't, yeah. Um, we're kind of jumping around the book here too. The other one that I really liked, it was um, when I was reading it was the haunted church. Oh yeah, Cambridge. yeah, yeah. In Cambridge, the Cambridgeport Baptist Church is supposed to be haunted. It's um, it's an interesting one because it was this. It's in the eighteen hundreds, and this Baptist church in Cambridge, which is a pretty dense urban area, um, mm -hmm. had burned down, and so they try to rebuild the church, and then it burns down again, and so the church burns down like twice. And also strange noises are heard in the area, like strange, like shrieking noises and things like this are heard in the area of this church. And a reporter from the Boston Globe goes to investigate, like, yeah, how come this church has burned down twice in a row? That's a little weird. And people say like, oh, you know, when they put the founding documents in the cornerstone of the church, when they dedicate it, even those would burst spontaneously into flames. And that was starting the fire and burning the church down. So what was happening? And so an old man in the neighborhood says, oh, you know, years ago, a woman lived around here in the 1600s. And, you know, she was in love with a soldier. This soldier went off to war. 
um, and another soldier killed him because he wanted to get with this woman. I think her name was Ann Hopkins, according to the story, Ann Hopkins. This yep, other Ann soldier Hopkins. killed Ann Hopkins' boyfriend because he wanted to be with her. So he comes back to Cambridge is like, oh, Ann Hopkins, I'm sorry, your boyfriend was killed by the enemy, but I'm here and I'll take his place. But as, right, but as he says this, she notices that he has like an article of her dead boyfriend's clothing and she thinks, oh crap, like he's actually killed her and he's just, you know, trying to take over. So this kind of drives her a little crazy. You know, she becomes sort of an outcast in the town. She's like hanging out in the swamps at night, all this sort of stuff that makes you suspicious until a pandemic of the time hits, like a smallpox outbreak hits Cambridge and people are looking for somebody to blame. So who do you blame? You blame the outcast. So they say, Ann Hopkins, you know, we just thought you were perhaps crazy, but now we realize you're probably also a witch causing this pandemic. And so they, according to the story, they burn her at the stake. And as she dies, like she points at the man who killed her boyfriend and screams at him like this spot will be cursed forever. And the old man says to the reporter from the Boston Globe, that is where this church is built. And that's why this church keeps burning down, which is a great story. But the interesting thing is like the Puritans never burned anybody to the stake. Like they would hang people, but they never burned anybody. That was not their way of executing people. And there's no record of anybody named Ann Hopkins being executed. So is this just like a folk tale from the neighborhood? It's not clear. And then there's no real explanation like why the church burned down twice, which is pretty strange as well. But the church itself is still there. Like it has not burned since then. You can still go see the church. And I don't, I don't think they say it's haunted anymore. You know, it kind of kills the story, but you know, it's you know, it could have simply been as the workers were over there, you know, cooking something, and somebody screwed up, and knocked. You know, like what do we do? <laughs> it's a witch. It's it got to be a witch. It's a witch's curse. It's a witch's curse. Yeah. We're in this church twice. Yeah, Don't it's name us. Yeah. I mean, as as you read it, like like said, fell it twice. I mean, in Monty Python suddenly comes in, you know, with the castle scene. It's like you know, building the castle in the swamp falls down, build another one, it burns down, falls over. It's like, you're like, at some point, why did, you know, you think it's like, guys, let's just move it over there. Let's, you know, this is just not working. <laughs> move yeah, it away it, from it, the cursed spot with a witch. Was yeah. Right. yeah. And that's, so when you're doing like these stories is because a lot of them, I mean, obviously, you know, through this program, I believe people have these abilities, you know, I just, whether or not there was, I mean, I'm sure there's some people down there that had what would seem like otherworldly, like Anne, you know, not Anne. I was Margaret. I think was it Margaret. See, I'm getting the names messed up. It was the one that the first lady that was Margaret Jones. Margaret Jones. Yes. Yeah. Margaret. I think when you have something like that, that just has that gift that knows, you know, you know, man, I've got this toothache. Oh, here, chew this, you know, do this right here. And it just, it goes away. It seems, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it seems just crazy, you know, compared to, you know, when you have everybody else, you know, these modern, you know, what they would consider modern medicine tell you, no, no, we got to do, we got to do these weird techniques, you know, and then somebody like this can't be, this has to be otherworldly, but at the same time, it's just, it's like, how does this go from being just, you know, to such a hysteria that we're taking this gift? I mean, whether you want to call it God gift, universal gift to humanity, and then just saying, no, put them on a, put them on a stake, burn them, hang them. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, there were some other women who were healers at the time who were accused of being witches. And, you know, some people have theorized that they were in competition with male doctors 
And so the male physicians mm -hmm. who would, you know, the ones who would like stick leeches on you and bleed you and do those other harsher things didn't like the competition, right? And so they would maybe start these accusations against people for being witches and try to get them out of business that way. And there was also, a, there was even a man named um, Roger Toothaker, who in the Salem witch trials, he was an herbal healer also. And a doctor actually was one of the people who accused him. Like a physician was like, oh, I accuse Roger Toothaker of being a witch. And they were business rivals. They were both competing for the same patients. You know? Wow. Do you, um, do you believe that warlocks are hybrids of witches? Um, in some research that I've done, um, it said that witches are like hybrid, uh, warlocks are hybrids of witches as because they sell their soul, the witches, and they become warlocks. Do you believe there's any correlation with that or that's just something somebody decided to write? Um, I guess what, I, you know, what I've read, like, again, I don't think there are any real witches, but, you know, the Puritans use the word witch to refer to both men and women, right? Both men and women were called a witch. They, the witchcraft law they passed in 1641 is like any man or woman that hath a familiar spirit shall be put to death or whatever, something like that. Like that was, so they both basically said witches were men and women. Sometimes men also had other terms applied to them. Like they could be called a wizard. They could be called a conjurer. They could be called a necromancer. They could be called a warlock, but it was all the same. Basically it was just kind of a matter of degree, basically like everybody was a witch and some people were extra special and were like you could be a wizard or a conjurer. It's like a different level in Dungeons and Dragons almost or something like mm -hmm. that. You know, yep. but only really for men. Women were just always the witches. So since you don't believe in witches per se, do you believe in the rituals that are done by people who practice rich witchcraft? Right. Yeah, that's that's um because they're like the word witch has a lot of different meanings. You know, there's like the witches that we're talking about tonight, like from the 1600s, like those witches that were were innocent people accused falsely and executed. Then there's sort of witches you get in like fairy tales, like the witch in the you know gingerbread house in Hansel and Gretel, or even the witch in the Wizard of Oz, or the lion, the witch in the wardrobe, like those sorts of witches. And then there are like contemporary people who practice witchcraft as like a spiritual path or a religion. So you know Wiccans or folks like that. And I don't really talk about those in my book because I think that's a different approach. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah. I've been to Wiccan rituals and it's not the same thing as what the Puritans were complaining about. Like that it's a different thing entirely, but the word is the same, if you know what I mean. Makes sense. Yeah. Th th there was a, yeah, right here. It's just, and Ron, I, I, I do think myself, I mean, I'm, I'll ask the, you know, Peter to comment on this one. Would, would anyone practice psychic abilities, you know, be considered witches? I mean, I'm going to say yes. I mean, it's just obviously if, if you're like, you're going to fall down, you know, as you're walking home tomorrow, you know, it's pretty much going to get you on the trial. Yeah, there was actually, there were actually a couple people in the sandwich trials who were executed, who were fortune tellers. There was a guy in particular named Samuel Wardwell, um, who was very accurate at his predictions. He, I mean, he was like a farmer. He was doing like normal Puritan stuff, but in his spare time, he would read people's palms and things like that. And, again, he was very effective, like he could accurately predict things. So then people sort of, when the Salem witch trials started, like, boy, how come his fortune telling skills are so good? Like, that doesn't seem natural. You know, he must be a witch. And he was executed for that. 
Isn't that the hypocrisy that, you know, you have all these people that can declare that this person's a witch and that they're not put on trial for then, you know, also having this un, un, unearthly ability to declare what people are, you know, it's like, how, how are they not? <laughs> it seems like it would be the self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, wait a minute, you know, you just said, you know, you just said it too. It's like, Oh God, you know, that person's thrown in jail. It just right. like keeps. Yeah. They had this, um, idea which unfortunately like one of the reasons the Salem witch trials were so big because there have been like I think there's been, like 85 witch trials between 1641 and, and 1691 and most of those were really small like one or two people and you know in Massachusetts only five people were executed only five like if you're one of the five it's still a lot um, between 1641 and 1691 five women were executed then when the Salem witch trials come along 19 people are executed. It's like 14 women, five men. One person is crushed to death while being tortured. Several people die in prison and over 150 people total are accused. So it was like a big, you know, viral spread of witchcraft. And, um, you know, one of the things that helped feed that was the court at that time, they made this decision to accept what they called spectral evidence, right? So spectral evidence means that let's say, you know, I'm being, I say I'm being attacked by a witch. Like I go to the, the judge say, I'm being attacked. I'm being attacked by Craig, who's a witch. And what I'm seeing is Craig's specter, like Craig's spirit form is coming to me and attacking me. He's got like pins, he's sticking in them in my skin, whatever. So no one else can see Craig's specter leave his body except me because I'm bewitched. Craig could just be sitting there in the courtroom, like twiddling his thumbs, but I'm like, no, Craig is sticking pins in my body this very minute. Like his specter is <laughs> yeah. being sent out of his body to attack me. And they accepted that as valid evidence. Wow. That was valid evidence. I could just be totally lying. I could be hallucinating, whatever. They accepted it as valid evidence. And that's why they ended up with like such a huge number of people because they were accepting that evidence without any other backup. Wow, I'm glad they don't do it that, um, that way nowadays because somebody wife gone like hey my wife is a witch she <laughs> and mysteriously yeah, disappeared yeah i just show like like here's a jar from the you know the witch pins yeah which you know so people supposedly said that pins are being stuck in their body and then they would produce these pins and say these are the pins that were stuck in my body and like mm, did you just have that hidden in your pocket maybe or something to uh, you know, get revenge on somebody you didn't like, because yeah, I think. So... No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, I was just gonna say I think um, you know the Puritans did believe in witches, but I don't also think that some people were taking advantage of the witch trials to get revenge on their enemies, right? On their political enemies or people in town they just didn't like or things like that. Yeah, I, th I think so too. I think so too because this you were looking through there and like when you read these ones i mean especially the one um god i don't know why i'm having such a tr trouble with names look what am i doing look at this wow we just went sucked into a portal there i'm not sure what happened <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah we'll take that off here before we're, we're all just like met, you know hypnotized <laughs> no it's uh the girl that she went on that spree of just accusing everybody of being a witch and it just it, it was for the most part she was she was just making it up I mean, it was oh. just to cover her actions. And it's like you said, this, this thing got so out of control. I mean, just, you know, we'll go back to Margaret Jones. Here's these two people that are coming over from it to make a new life. You know, she, they both got this amazing, you know, 
They're great people. They're helping people. And she ends up being killed because she knows how to heal, you know, take care of your stuff. And then he's forced to flee and just, you're looking, what could those two have changed? You know, how many lives could those two have affected and improved? And it was all because of this, just somebody just, you know, makes an accusation and you're like, yeah, hang them. Yeah. There was a case in um, Littleton, Massachusetts, which is kind of West of Boston and three girls there. It was a 17, I think it was 1710, 1710 or 1720. So several years after the Salem witch trials had ended and just to point out the Salem witch trials were the last trials in Massachusetts and, and in New England for witchcraft, because people kind of realized like, boy, that was a big mess. We can't believe all those innocent people were killed. They didn't necessarily stop believing in witches. They just realized you can't prove it in a court. Like you can't prove the existence <laughs> of a witch or of the devil in a court. So people still did believe in witches, but they just didn't have witch trials. So in 1720 in Littleton, these three sisters, these three young sisters, like eight, nine and 10 or something like that, all started to say they were being bewitched. And they would often like, you know, be found in the middle of a pond, like help a witch, you know, somehow transported me into the middle of this pond. Somebody has to pull me out. I'm stuck at the top of a tree. A witch put me up here. Someone has to get a ladder and bring me down. And in addition, you know, they'd be stuck on top of the house, whatever, like all these places they'd get stuck and they'd always blame it on a witch. They would say that, you know, they would do the usual witchcraft symptoms like, you know, barking like a dog and running around like a bird and all these things, right? And they always saying, oh, it's a witch, it's a witch. And finally, the people in Littleton like, well, who is the witch? You have to name her. If there's a witch in this town, we need to know. And so the girls were like, uh, it's, uh, it's Abigail Dudley. She lives down the street. It's Abigail Dudley. And Abigail Dudley was this mother of 13 children. She was one of the original colonists who had settled the town with her husband. And suddenly every, these girls were accusing her of being a witch. And so it seemed like there would have been a witch trial, but Abigail Dudley died suddenly of natural causes, probably because she had 13 children, which is a lot of children to have. So she died of natural causes. So that was the end. There was no trial. And several years later, when the oldest girl who had accused her was living on her own in another town, this girl was attending a church service and the minister was preaching about how liars go to hell, right? Liars do not go to heaven, liars go to hell. And this girl started to cry and just tears were running down her face. And she confessed to um, the minister that she and her sisters had lied. They had made the whole thing up. They just wanted attention. And when they were pressured by people in town to name somebody, they just named the first name that came to mind. And so really, I mean, that's a good uh, case that shows how easy it would be for innocent people, I think, to be accused of witchcraft. That's crazy. And that, you know, luckily she confessed. So that's how people. Yeah. Knew. Everybody just treats it kind of like, oh, well, I guess we won't make that mistake again. And then what happens a couple of days, they <laughs> make that mistake again. <laughs> I, I, I just, it's. Yeah, I, I yeah. like to like one of the things you did, I think it was right in the um, beginning and you kind of touched on a few things. It's just how you kind of do like all of us have done that. You know, we're going through life and growing up, especially in this modern thing. It's like, there's always that creepy house. There's always that one. This, you know, and everybody, there's always that rumors like don't go in there. You know, that's that witch. Yeah. Yeah. And, when I was a kid, there was an, an older woman who lived up the street from us. And um 
you know, her house was super run down. Like the shades were always down. The grass in the yard was knee high. She had a car that didn't drive that was full of newspapers. She had like 25 cats, whatever. And somebody at one point said, oh yeah, I think she's a witch. And that really stuck in my brain. And I was always afraid like, oh, she might be a witch. Like I should cross the street. And then she got a dog, this big black dog that had no hair on its back. Its back was entirely hairless. And I'm like, oh, that, that cinched the deal for me. Like that's when I knew she was a witch. Of course I was wrong. Like she was not a witch. <laughs> but, but you know, there's just that kind of mentality of like the outsider and you're a little bit afraid of them, you know? So Yeah. That, and uh, and hopefully people are getting that, you know, from the saying, that's why I said just, he's, he's only, we're kind of picking and choosing a little things here too, but all of the stories in the book are like this. And that's, that's what's so cool. It's just, they're all, they're all in these, these cases where different one, like the witch caves, that one was, a, that one was a great story too. Yeah. That, yeah. The witch caves are in um, Ashland and frame like Ashland, Massachusetts. And it's um after the Salem trials ended in 1692 some of the people still living in salem wanted to get out of town like we're don't want to sit around we don't want to live in this town with the people who killed our family basically right the Mm -hmm. people whose relatives had been hanged as witches wanted to get the heck out of there and so they all headed out of salem following like a an indian trail a native american trail whatever you want to call it out to ashland massachusetts and um they were given land there to settle, but for the time being, they need, when they got there, they had no place to live. And so they moved into these caves. And so those caves are still there and they're called the witch caves. And so it's a, it's a cool name. You can go visit them. I, we went to visit them and they were mostly filled up with leaves at this point. Like I didn't go inside because I was afraid I would just sink up to my neck in leaves and who knows what was at the bottom of them. But you can still yeah. see these witch caves, which is pretty interesting, you know? The road is called Salem End Road because it was. They left Salem and that's, then they stopped, so that was the end. That, like Salem End that's, Road. That's a cool. I, that's fitting name for it. Oh, yeah, it's, I mean, I was scrolling through here. I looked and there was a, the one where it was the Goody Glover. Mm. And that one, you know, kind of just a little tease. I'll let you go, but the part where they're doing the interrogation, you know, it just you can see right away. Here's a problem, and I said, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, so Goody Glover was, um, this was like 1688, I think was the year. She lived in Boston. Um, she was an Irish woman. She was Catholic. And she worked as a washerwoman. So she took in people's laundry, basically. And um, one of her customers accused Goody Glover or her daughter of stealing their sheets and so Goody Glover came and like screamed at the children, like no, like yelled at them and swore at them or whatever. The children that she swore at became very traumatized and they started to exhibit like the classic witchcraft symptoms, like their tongue would hang out of their mouth and they would, you know, crawl around on their backs and speak in tongues or whatever. And so they said, oh, Goody Glover has bewitched us because she screamed at us because we said she stole our sheets. And so Goody Glover was brought into trial. And so Boston at the time was like a Puritan town. It was an English town. And there were some people who were not English or not Puritan, but there weren't a lot of them. And so Goody Glover was Irish. She was Catholic. And she didn't really speak English. She only spoke Gaelic. Um, And so when they brought her on, put her on trial, uh, it was a totally biased trial. Like the records call her a a hag and things like this. So we're putting the hag on trial. And then they say like, oh, she only spoke Gaelic. 
But then they also say things like, oh, when we interrogated her, she confessed that she was a witch. Like, how did that happen if she didn't even know what she was saying and you couldn't understand what she was saying? Um, yep. You know, they, she, they tried to get her to say the Lord's Prayer, which is supposedly something a witch cannot do. She couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't say the Lord's Prayer probably if I was put on trial. I would probably be too stressed also. Um, so she was executed um, in 1688 for being a witch. And it was pretty clear that, um, you know, a big part of it was because she was Irish and Catholic, which is ironic because Boston now is super Irish and super Catholic. You know? Yeah, exactly. It was, but I was just, that was the part that stuck out to me. It's like, none of us could do that. I mean, if, if any of us were handed the Lord's Prayer right now, written in Gaelic, right. you tell me how many, uh, all four of us are going to fail this. Yes. We're not going to be able to say the prayer. You know, and it doesn't mean that all four of us are witches. You know, I mean, you know, that's you know that that was the that was the part that just the way you lay out these stories. That's the part I, I love is just you see just the problems with their and and that was where kind of with my question was like, do you think that the governor was behind? You know, that there was a little more to it. You know, obviously, you know, it's hard. You can't go back in the wayback machine and ask him. You know, but it's just you know, it almost seems like there was something more to it than just simple you know, believe in God or you're of the devil. It just seems like there was something more of like, I know how I can ensure that everybody's so fearful of their neighbors. Nobody's watching me. You know, I basically, I'm, I'm not going to be touched. And that's, that's where it seems like here with the, because it just, some of these things, like you said, right there, you mean to tell me there's not anybody that's, that's in law that would have come up and said, Hey, there's a problem with this. <laughs> you know, it's just it's like, it's, this wasn't a fair trial in any way. I mean, it was just yeah. like, I, I I'm not siding with her. I'm just saying, you know, she doesn't speak it. I mean, come on. Right. They didn't really have, um, it wasn't a lot of professional lawyers at the time. Right. It was, you know, yeah. it's ministers filling in, doing everything, being lawyers and maybe just some wealthy people are going to be a judge. It wasn't, they didn't have the professional training we have now. Have now, even like the physicians and the doctors, they were just like making it up as they went along. Like there were no medical schools. It was just like they learned from somebody and they taught somebody, and it was not what we have now. So, but I agree. It's um, you can see that the political biases came into play, and were they deliberate, or was it just kind of like an unconscious bias against? Yeah people who are Irish and Catholic or older women or whoever the people who are often, you know, accused of witchcraft. It was probably, probably a, co a nice combination. Yeah. And yeah. you know, the Salem, one of the reasons the Salem witch trials finally ended is because, you know, the, the number of people kept expanding to like this 150 kept growing and somebody then accused the governor's wife of being a witch. And that's when he shut it down. He's like, okay, this trial is over. Yeah. Like that's, don't accuse my wife yeah. of being a witch. Like the trial is over now. Yeah, that's what that's what kind of where what made me go down that track, you know, of thinking is like I wonder if there was something else behind this because it just when it gets to there, it's like no, no, it's absolutely not, you know. It's like yeah, we found them all. We've caught all the witches. There's no witches. The witches are gone. <laughs> just yeah, it's but no, as as we're getting up here to uh, people, but I mean everybody, is it Amazon.com? Go, you know, Barnes and Noble, books. You just go there, purchase this book. I mean, it came out. It's really really interesting fascinating stories i mean it's a, it's a real fun read and you can check them out at new england folklore.blogspot.com you know check keep that everything up to date date there you know like i said you've, you've got two you know at least a couple posts a post a month that you do there 
yeah. I'm not not mistaken. So yeah, it, you know, want to also, you know, definitely want to, uh, you know, Michelle Freed, you know, want to, you know, thank her, you know, for helping set this up too. Cause that's, you know, she's, she did that. I really appreciate that. And give you a second here, um, plug, you know, plug your publisher, plug, you know, just let people know about um, other information. Like I said, the floor is yours. Oh, sure. I mean, again, just uh, the book, which is in Warlocks of Massachusetts, just came out last month, available pretty much where you buy books online. It's uh, about 70 different stories about witches, plus informa- plus multiple stories just about the Salem Witch Trial. So probably, I don't know, it's like 80 little different segments of the book. So, and it's, you know, for general readers, it is not um, an academic book by any means. So it's pretty accessible, I think, to pretty much anybody who's interested in stories about witches. And it's good. It's Halloween season, right? Um, so you can read some spooky stuff. And again, like what's scarier, a witch or a witch hunt? I will leave that up to you. I kind of yeah. think maybe a witch hunt might be scarier. Um, so things to think about as we go towards Halloween. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It was perfect to have you on here to, you know, talk about that. Because, yeah, we're definitely getting into that season where, you know, everybody's witches, ghosts, you know, everything. Perfect. And so... It, Peter, I mean, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I mean, I really appreciate it. This is—it's been great, and happy birthday again, happy fourth. Well, thank you. You know, yeah, appreciate appreciate that. That was yeah, I was just I was I was excited to do this, and I said this was this is one I was just, I could couldn't thought you know better you know, one of the better ones to have on October. You know, it's the best month. You know, hey, I'm kind of biased. <laughs> so that's all right. Well, thank you very much. Have a have a great night, and I said we'll definitely be in touch, and especially. As you get something else out, you know, we'll see about getting you back on to discuss that one as well. Oh, great. Thank you. I look so, forward to this. It's a lot of fun. All right. Well, happy Halloween and have, have have a great have a great night. Thank you. All right, everybody. This episode brought to you by threebeardspodcast.com. We're still looking for a sponsor if you couldn't tell. But hey, you can go to merchandise there, you know, click that support us that way. Um, that's how we that's how we fun and keep these beards looking not homeless. I mean, as you can see, the guys down below are starting to keep keep there, and we we still need to get that thing. So you know, especially when we get when we bring on the guest beard, you know, we gotta have you know, gotta have the thing that pops up that says guest beard. We got still gotta get that. So thank everybody for watching. Check us out on all the social medias. Like, subscribe, please share that. Comment, comment, comment. That seems to be really helps out. You know, get the thing out there as people talk there but you know i thank everybody for watching appreciate all the birthday wishes everybody thank you stay tuned for the next show the guys are going to be talking college football and i'm not going to be on that one because I, i'm going to go ha- have birthday dinner so everybody thanks for watching peace out good night